2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20 has been our study. Eighteen through twenty, chapter five, Second Corinthians. Join me in prayer, then we'll read the word of the Lord. Father, we come before you now to hear you, to hear your words. Father, help our hearts be receptive, help our eyes to see, help our ears to hear. And Father, um, teach us. That when we realize that because we are saved, we have a ministry, Father, let us know what you want of us in ministry. That, Father, we may walk worthy of this amazing calling. Thank you, Lord, for drawing us this day. Thank you for the amazing things that you've already done. And yet, Father, with an eager expectation of the amazing things that you will do. Father, we love you. May that love grow with every precious breath you give us as we press on to the upward calling of Christ. To you and you alone, King of kings and Lord of lords, in Christ's name, amen. Beginning in verse 18. Now all of these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And these two very brief verses is the essence of ministry. I mean, if, if I was going to say, here is ministry defined, these are the two verses that I would present. Uh, there is so much in your lives today that is called ministry that don't fit this, that it is heartbreaking, to say the least, to say the least. Uh, and, and, and to be honest with you, as a pastor, I believe it's shameful. It's shameful because what I see people calling as ministry tends to be something that they enjoy doing that they want God to bless it as they do it. Uh, I ran into uh, some of you know that I ride motorcycles. I ran into uh, a a group um, of motorcycle and they call themselves. Well, I won't mention their names, but they ride motorcycles for Jesus. And they call themselves a ministry. Okay, no, man, you just don't want to go to church on Sunday. You want to ride your motorcycle, and this is how you're going to validate your conscience. Okay, and yes, I did tell them that. Okay, and they said, well, you know, we go to Sturgis every year. I said, I've been to Sturgis. Them people ain't interested in being saved. Been there, seen it. Okay, now every once in a while, you'll get one of them who got lit up and missed the corner. And he wants to be saved just before they load him into the ambulance. But other than that, you ain't going to get nobody saved. They're not up there to be saved. Okay? But I I see it across the board. We see things called music 
ministries. What is that? And can anybody tell me in the Bible where it says that music is a ministry? Well, pastor, you understand that the largest book in the Bible is the book of Psalms. And those are songs of praise to God. Then add music to them. But I don't see anybody doing that. Why? Well, I got a song from heaven. I remember somebody told me. If they got a song from heaven, that means God didn't want it. He threw it down here. Okay? These are the kinds of things that you have to... Well, this is a ministry. It's not a ministry. Ministry has five words that are repeated in two verses, and I don't believe you can get any slower than that. It's a ministry of reconciliation. The reason I like the hymns, why? They tell me who God is, and they bring about reconciliation. When man is exposed to the person of God, he all of a sudden realizes he's lacking. There's two religions on the planet Earth right now. One is, I can make God happy if I work at it. The other is, absolutely no way I can make Him happy, and by His grace, He saved me. Okay? There are people walking around now who are saying the, the, the sinner's prayer, and they don't even know what they're being saved from. I lost my house. Jesus saved me. My spouse is leaving me. Jesus saved me. You see what I'm saying? No, that is not reconciliation. Reconciliation is not about you. It is about God reconciling you to Him. Anything short of that is a lie. You ain't saved. If you don't even know what you've been saved from, how are you saved? How, do you realize that in the United States? No. Do you realize that this morning in Castle Rock, how often sin will be dealt with? You ever thought about that? Who's going to talk about it? Well, we don't use that word anymore. We call it morally challenged. Really? It's sin. We don't disciple anymore. We mentor. Well, you would grow numerically if you'd get away from the hymns. Really? Perhaps we should do Dark Side of the Moon. A little Stevie Ray Vaughan, throw that into the mix, and everybody goes see Jesus smiling. That's the silliest thing that we, I've ever heard of. I don't understand that. I don't understand it at all. When I look back through this, we started on this, that reconciliation is by God. You don't decide one day, you know, tomorrow's Memorial Day. Instead of doing a barbecue, I think I'll try to reconcile myself to God. It don't happen that way. The only way a person is reconciled is that God acts on it. God acts on it. Verse 18. These things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. God did it. It was God's plan. It was God's provision. It was God's power. Second thing we looked at, or what we're going to look at, is that reconciliation is forgiveness. 
I know emphatically in my years in the body of Christ that we have missed this. Okay? I find it fascinating that in the body of Christ, you can smile real big at the cross and say, God forgave me, but I don't have to forgive you. And what you just did, it says, my standard of righteousness and justice is higher than God's. I also see people in the body of Christ who are running around saying they want a miracle. Well, let me explain something to you. If you have been forgiven by a holy God, what more do you want? He says here in verse 19, namely... God was in Christ. Now, I love that little phrase right there because when the Mormons show up at my house or when the Jehovah's Witnesses show up at my house, I never take out my Bible because they always have one and I'm helping them edit theirs. Because, see, they don't believe that Jesus Christ is deity. But what does that say right there? God in Christ. Hmm, that's got serious case of deity all over it. And see, they haven't edited that verse yet. And so that's the one that says, hey, I have a question. And they oh, we got one, we got one. All right, what does that mean? Oh, we don't know. We'll get back to you. Do that, would you? Okay, and you know, they try to come back. I ask them the same questions. I thought you said Jesus wasn't deity. Well, he's not. Well, then we got two gods here. We got Christ as one God and God as the other God. But they seem to be in each other. Is that like a traffic jam? What is that? Okay, and it messes with them. And what's amazing is, is that they never ask me, what do you do for a living? <laughs> I annoy Mormons. <laughs> Doesn't pay that well, but it's fun. Because God in Christ, the deity of Jesus Christ, was doing what? Reconciling the world to himself. Now, you've got to understand that. It ain't the world reconciling itself to God. It is God reconciling to him. Too many times you and I read the Bible with an earthly focus. You'd better start reading it with a heavenly focus. We are the recipients we are not the actuators. God was the reconciler. God was doing the reconciliation. And he was doing it through the incarnation of his son. Theologians call this a divine work. See, it was his plan. God's plan. It was God's power. Oh, did I tell you? And God accomplished it. Why do we think he can't get it done? Okay. When I read this. Because he says. He was reconciling the world to himself. And what does it look like? Not counting their trespasses against them. Theologians call that the doctrine of justification. It is. I call it an act of forgiveness. Okay? 
But you, you've got to be real careful. All right? Because we have it that, you know, if you'd have seen what I did yesterday, I need an act of forgiveness. And today's not done. Okay? No, 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 no. That ain't the way this thing works. You have been reconciled once. Okay? Okay, so what sin has been forgiven you? Everything you've done in the past, everything you're doing right now, oh, never mind, I know you're not sinning right now. Okay? But everything you will do when you have to wait in line at the restaurants after church, that's already forgiven. And Monday, oh, you won't get into trouble Monday, it's a holiday. Okay? Tuesday, you'll get back in trouble again, and it's already forgiven before you even get it done. He's not counting sin against them. How, was, how does God do that? Okay, now listen. Some people get their eyes glazed over, especially pastors, when you say, let me share with you some theology. Okay, anytime you see ology in something, like if it's geology or sociology, it's the study of, okay? All right, when you see theon, okay, it's the study of God. That should be a passion. Okay? That should be something that is never satisfied on this planet. All right? There's only one way that reconciliation is done. And if, if I just give you the big picture of it, okay, it's really simple. Sin is no longer an issue. Have you ever thought about it from that perspective? Reconciliation means sin is no longer an issue. Now think about that for a second. You, you ponder that? You get that? Yesterday I was up in Parker picking up some parts. I was on my motorcycle and I had to drive... I, I got a little shortcut that goes back over to my house. And somebody left a door open in Texas and the wind would not stop. Okay. And so if I was driving straight south on my motorcycle, it's got a fairing on the front of it. It wasn't so bad. You're just cruising along. But as soon as I turned and headed east, it was like, no, oh! <laughs> look, a kite that weighs 800 pounds and I'm sitting on it. Okay. And I found myself saying, Lord, what is your problem? Okay, see, I'm honest. You guys are saying, I ain't saying nothing, man. Okay, but I'm sitting there going, are you kidding me? Dude, if I head north, I can shut it off and probably still break the speed limit. What do I do when I think that sin is not an issue? Now, you've got to ask yourself a question. It's just like I said, there's people saying the sinner's prayer and they don't even know why. Okay, what separates us from God. Sin. So, sin has to be ca- taken care of. Okay? Here it says it's no longer counted. Okay? I know people right now who are praying for a miracle. I'm sitting there going, your sin's not counted. What more do you want? My sin is not counted. My trespasses are not counted. I can use Jeremiah. It says, they're as far as the east is from the west. 
They are remembered no more. God did it. Listen, it's, you know, I kind of have, this gets hard for me at times. Okay. Well, you think about that for a second. The issue of sin is done. It's not there no more. It's a non-existent entity. Well, but you, you got to ask yourself a question. Is it dealt with or isn't it? Well, but I had a bad morning. I didn't ask you if you had a bad morning. Okay. If you have ever been in court, it's funny in court. Everybody that's in court is innocent. I'm still trying to figure out what the judicial system is for if nobody's guilty. Okay. But what would you do in court? A court where you're looking before the judge. Okay. And the judge has you on tape for everything. And there is a plethora of witnesses who see you're guilty of everything. He can look into the face and say absolute guilt. No question. Okay. But the judge says, I love you so much. I will show you grace. And I love you so much. Not only am I going to show you grace. I want you to be my friend. And spend eternity with me. Even though. You are helplessly. Guilty. Okay. Now you got to understand something. In God's court. There's no plea bargaining. Go to court here. I don't care what it's for. You can go in and talk to a district attorney. And say. We'll plea bargain. 100 mile an hour. And a 35 down to a broken vehicle. I should have been doing 200. <laughs> okay? Right? You can plea bargain. God doesn't say that. God says guilty. Penalty is death. Eternal separation from my presence forever and ever. But in some cases, all of a sudden he says, Hey, I want you to be my friend. I want to spend eternity with you. So that's what God did. It's like the Matthew 18 text of the, the, the steward who had the unpayable debt. Can't pay it. It'd be like you standing before God and God says, I'm going to let you into heaven. You pay the United States national debt. Okay, that's all you have to do. We don't care what you do, but if you pay that 16 trillion, no problem. And God says, no, I'll just wipe the debt out. I'm not going to count it against them. But you know what is amazing about that? Because I watch people, they said, but you know, I got up this morning and I was kind of dark in the house and I kicked the edge of the bed and the thought that came through my head was not, bless you, Lord, for showing me that my toes are sensitive. Okay, But he not only forgave the debt, remembered them no more, remember them no more. You know what that means? It's gone. You know why? You are robed in Christ's righteousness. I mean, you can sit there and say, well, he forgive me, but you don't understand. That was just one part of the coin. He clothed you in Christ. So when you kick the edge of the bed at three o'clock in the morning, he sees Christ. 
which is really a good thing. <laughs> really a good thing. Listen, in the reality of this, I want you to understand it. It doesn't mean that as soon as you believe, you're no longer a sinner. But when he hung on the cross and said, tell, tell us die. It is finished. He says, I have as the supreme justice of existence, remember them no more. And I prove it to you because now I clothe you in Christ. Wow. Either you guys all know that or you're asleep with your eyes open. Because you should be going, whoa, whoa. That amazes me. When I have a bad day, I can back down and say, no matter what's happening, I'm clothed in Christ's righteousness and my sins are not counted against me forever. Wow. Woohoo! It is a declaration by God declaring the sinner righteous. Okay, when you see the word righteous, it literally means right standing before God. Now think about that for a second. Think about it. Holy, perfect, absolute God, you can stand right before Him. I don't know. I don't... What? What? Yep, absolutely. You think about it. People in the Old Testament, when they saw a holy angel, they fell on their face as if dead because it scared them to death. And the angel would say what? Get up. But they were in the holy presence of God and they were reflecting the glory of the God that they had sent them. And all of a sudden, now they're standing in front of this blind, naked, depraved man. And he goes, "Uh uh-oh. And now we can stand only as Christ stands before God. Oh, did I tell you that he is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven? And you stand in his righteousness. And that's how you stand right now, brothers and sisters. You're not waiting for this. This is already taken care of. He doesn't count our trespasses against us. God has covered the sinner with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He covers us with Christ. Get all of the technical stuff. It's an imputed righteousness. That imputed righteousness comes upon you immediately if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That moment, you are now clothed in Christ. Okay, it doesn't mean there isn't that nasty clay pot underneath the robe. But what is seen is what? The robe. To impute it into someone's account, it means just that. It means that in my eternal account, sin no longer is there. And the only thing that I have in my eternal account is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Do you see why I'm so passionate about the ministry of reconciliation? That ought to just, well, I think I'll be an evangelist. You are. It's not that we reach a place of sinlessness. Okay, listen, you can't work yourself out of sin. 
you don't believe me? I tell you what, I'll give you tomorrow's a holiday. Don't sin all day. Okay, just knock yourself out. First one of you makes it all the way till sunset. Call me. All right. It shouldn't be that difficult. I have faith in my Lord and my Savior by God. I trust in the person of Christ. Our sacri- he is our sacrifice for sin. And by putting my faith in God, that covers my sin with the righteousness of Christ because he was my perfect sacrifice. Soon as that happens, he's putting on the righteousness is in our account. And it's only the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why he says, my glory, I give them. When you see the word glory, always think of it this way. The manifestation of the nature and the character of Christ. If I'm clothed in Christ, what is seen? Christ. And that's, you know, I get into trouble with people. I say, well, you don't look saved. Why? Well, if you're robed in Christ, it should be obvious. Putting that righteousness into our account makes us just before God. So therefore, a just God, his justice is never curtailed. His righteousness is never curtailed because the penalty was paid. It was paid in absolute. It was paid in full and it was been imputed to those who would believe. Now then, I want to show you something here because people get kind of crazy about it. Reconciling the world to himself. Now, I'd give anything if Paul would have said he was reconciling believers to himself. But that ain't what he put in there. Okay? A lot of people who have a universalistic mentality will quote this text and say, See, he was reconciling the world to himself. Christ died for the whole world. Okay? Now, listen I agree emphatically. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the elect. No. The sins of the world. Let me give you some verses. I want to go through this because uh, this idea is growing and it is. uh, It is silly. John 316. Everybody remember that one? See it at every football game. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever should believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So God so loved who? World. Go over to chapter 6, verse 51. 651 of the gospel of John. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread I also give is for life of the world is my flesh. First Timothy chapter two, verse six. Gave himself as a ransom for all. Hebrews. Chapter 2, verse 9. 2, verse 9. We do not see him who was made for a little while lower than the angel, namely Jesus, because of suffering death and crowning glory and honor, so that the grace of God, 
he might taste death for everyone. First John chapter 2 verse 2. He himself is the propitiation of our sins, and not only ours only, but those of the whole world. Okay, Second um, Peter chapter two, verse one. It's an interesting phraseology that Peter uses here. But false prophets also rose among the people, just as there were also false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing about self-destruction. So it even comes about that in the body of Christ, there will be people who will show up who will deny the master. Okay? Does this mean that God will not hold the sins of anyone in the world against them? Did he pay the price for everybody's sins? The suffering for sin has been accomplished. Do you agree? Then how can someone suffer for their sin? See, that's arguments, people. Trust me, I have, I have dealt that. That's exactly how it shows up. Okay? And my response, you know me, keep it simple. All right? Then why is there hell? <laughs> Since Mandela, we don't need hell. Okay? And that sort of makes them mad, but... <laughs> Oh, well. Okay, listen, when you see this on the world, it refuse to mankind in general. Okay, when I think about the world, I think about the sphere of beings that God seeks to reconcile. Does that make sense? Humanity, the world of mankind, um, Jesus spoke of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Okay. Christ died to reconcile humanity to himself. Okay. In reconciling, he's not counting their trespasses against them. Okay. First and foremost, when you think about that, you've got to think about its unlimited value. When Jesus said, I die for sin, he doesn't say plural. The entity that is sin, I paid the penalty for. Okay, so I have an infinite value in his death to reconcile me. I have nothing in existence of greater value than that. All right. Because he is the infinite son of God. Okay, and the infinite son of God is sufficient to pay the infinite penalty due. Got it? Okay, he sufficient to pay the penalty of sin of, now grab this, as many or as few as God saves. Okay? The question is not the value of what Christ's death is. That's unlimited. The 
offer of salvation is unlimited. Do we understand that? A savior of infinite value who has provided a sacrifice of infinite worth. For as many or as few as God saves. All right. His death is an unlimited offer. Okay. Why? He's infinite. All right. As an offer, it is unlimited. We can call every person in the world to Christ. All right. But. Atonement. Is made only for those who would believe. Okay. The substitution was only for those who believe. Okay. Otherwise, why is there hell? I mean, if he just paid the penalty of sin, everybody can just live like a, the devil. There is no hell. It's no big deal. We're all out of here. Listen, if what is hell for? It is to punish sin. You reject my law. You will spend eternity paying for it. No problem. But if he atoned for every person's sin, then we don't have any need for, for hell. But nobody in the 66 books of the Bible taught more on hell than Jesus Christ. Which tells me <laughs> there is one. <laughs> okay. Which means there's a place of torment, a place of punishment. It's, it's, we've got the Bugs Bunny theology. You know what that is? Yosemite Sands running hell. Okay, you know, he's got the little horns and a tail and pitchfork and, and it's the devil's place. That's where the devil runs it. Devil don't run hell. God runs hell. We've got to understand that. Satan's just going to go there to be punished too. All right, everybody's got it in their mind. Well, Satan's going to rule hell. No, he ain't. He's going to be in a place of eternal torment. Just like everybody who refuses to believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate and he paid the penalty for your sins. See, the Father knew who would believe And before the foundations of earth, he wrote their names in the Lamb's book of life. And he don't have an eraser. I heard a guy try to preach that one time and I got up and left. What? Well, I thought he was going to be saved. Guess not. That don't happen. God put it in there. That's good as gold. Well, but, you know, it's sort of like you've heard they'll talk about Calvinists as tulip. Some of you do, some of you don't. You know, the the Armenian star, right? Daisies. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. Okay. That don't happen. What can separate you from the love of God? Nothing. So it isn't like, well, I'm mad at him now. No. 
How can he be mad at you if he doesn't count your sins against you and only robes you in Christ's righteousness? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. You are clothed in that cloak, which makes you an heir in whom he is well pleased. Listen, Christ died, it's settled. Those God designed that belong to him, belong to him. Because I just gave you a bunch of scriptures, right? If you wrote them down, you can say, oh, there's, there's, there's their arguments. Well, let me give you these arguments. John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Okay, it doesn't say the goats. He does it for his sheep. Verse 15, even as the father knows me, I know the father and I lay my life for the sheep. All right. Well, but that's that could be a little abstract. All right, let's try another one. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, shepherd the church of God. Now it's getting specific. What is the fleet? The flock, the sheep, the animals. It's the church. All right? And the church is the Group of the called out ones. It's called, uh, the word that we translate churches, ecclesias. They are called out from the world. Why? They are God's possessions. And he is the good shepherd who takes care of God's flock, which is the church here on the planet Earth. Romans chapter 8. He who did not spare, verse 32, sorry, Romans 30, Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. See, that's all. That's just all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? So he gets specific there. One that I really like is kind of a sneaky one. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5. Oops, Colossians, I'm close. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. And the women all hit him. He's talking to you, dear. Husbands, love your wife, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. I'm seeing a pattern. How about when Jesus prays? Jesus' prayer in John 17. John 17. It's an interesting prayer. He breaks it up into, into three sections. He prays for himself, his disciples who are in the upper room, and then for you and me. 
And in verse 9, he says, I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I do not ask, in verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who will believe in me through their word. Okay? So the actual bearing of sin is for those who will believe and would believe. Okay? So I have an infinitely valuable sacrifice for however few or however many are reconciled to God. Now the offer is to all. Okay? And the reason the offer is to all is the reason that you and I have a ministry. You have people in your lives that you can share truth with that I can't. You have people who will cross your path that I will never cross. Now listen, you got to understand something. You share truth. You're not here to make converts. I share truth. And then God will either draw or God will reject. That is not your call. I can't tell. I can't take like a black light and lift up the shirt and see if there's an E on the back for elect. Okay? And you don't run around saying, well, I don't see how that person could ever be saved. Because, you know, when you get to heaven, there's going to be people see you and say, how did you ever get saved? And you can't do it. That's why I watch people get frustrated with this because they think they're expecting something. Da-da! You know, I shared the gospel and poof! That ain't what you've been called to. You've been called to share the gospel. You are a table waiter to sinners. You take truth out and you set it on the table. And that's all you do. If you're really honest with yourself, being a Christian is the easiest thing in the world to do. I don't have to do nothing. What? I just study my Bible, pray, roll it out. And I'm done. I did what I'm supposed to. The parable of the four soils. Everybody says, well, I don't know if I'm supposed to do. You're supposed to scatter seed. That is all you're supposed to do. You get into trouble when you think you're going to sit there and harvest that sucker. And it frustrates you. You get, we got to, I call it Billy Graham-itis. Let's get a stadium and we'll have thousands of people who will all come walking down. Billy Graham says that all the years that he's preached in crusades, he doubts that 1% were ever really saved. Really? 1%. He may be optimistic. Okay? I, that's crazy. We have a ministry of reconciliation. The offer is to all. That's why you and I have this ministry. And it is good for those who believe. Okay? And they were chosen before the foundation 
of the world. And one of the things that you and I have to get back in our, our sights is Psalm 32, verse 2. Thirty-two, two. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. That's reconciliations. Their sin is remembered no more. You see it in Romans chapter four, verse eight, and Romans chapter four, verse five. Um, you see it. What Colossians, yeah, two thirteen. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. We made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. When Christ died in our place, Christian, he paid the penalty for our sin. He bore the guilt of our sin. Your punishment that was due every Christian, he took so that you now stand fully, absolutely forgiven. If God does that, he immediately covers you with the righteousness of Christ. That's where he says in Romans 3 that he now justifies as a gift. By his grace. In 3.26 he says. He is now the just. And the justifier. Of the one who. Believes. Listen. I'll be honest with you. I don't know who they are. That God does this to. But when it happens to them. They are now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. They will begin manifesting the glories of Christ. Which is the nature and the attributes of Jesus Christ. And the one that hits you right between the eyes is selflessness. It's no longer about me. That's amazing. Because in our day and age, that's all it's about. So when you run into somebody who is selfless, you're like, well, what's this? Easy. It's Christ's robe. It's not hard. So let's run up to find somebody who's not self-centered and we'll say, those duds, they belong to Jesus. <laughs> thought he was taller. We speak to every creature because remember he's reconciling the world. We speak to every creature because of the infinite value that God has already given us in the person of Jesus Christ. And it goes as far as God wants it to go. Remember, we preach his word and it does what? Accomplishes what he set it out for. Sometimes... It's the reconciliation of the creature. Sometimes it is the condemnation of the creature. But you and I don't know that. That ain't our call. 
when I, I, I think about it, I can conclude this thing at the end of Romans 8 where he says, there is nothing in creation that can separate me from the love of God in Christ. Nothing. I have no sin in my account. I have only righteousness placed in my account. The debt is gone. Now then, if you go back to your text, then you can understand what Paul says next. Not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, do you understand what ministry is? And if it doesn't have the word in it, you're not ministering. You're not ministering. Do you see how that works? Why? Because I'm an ambassador. I speak for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I am urging, I am begging people be reconciled to God. I have a joke that some of you have heard me say uh, when I deal with certain people. I know that you guys have never had to deal with these, but there are certain people out there. And my only response to them is, wait till you see my boss. I can't make you believe what I do. I have a wonderful family of children, and I can't make any of my kids believe what I believe. Can't do it. They've seen the transformation. If that's not enough, I can't help them. But I'm not going to waver on truth. Here's truth. I'm not compromising truth. Well, we're trying to reach young people. They're sinful too. I don't care what their age is. Well, most of them get saved. I don't want to hear that either. I have a ministry of reconciliation. That is it. And I am committed to the word of reconciliation. And if you're doing anything less than that, you're not serving the Lord. I mean, you may be having a good time, but you ain't serving the Lord. I take joy in it. And even when times when I can hear a group of men tell me they believe that God is okay with abortion, I can still take joy in, yo, dude, we have a ministry of reconciliation, reconciling people to God. At some point in there, I have to cross the subject of their sin. And if you are starting to say sin is okay, you're going to have a serious problem. Serious problem. Well, I think it's more politics. You know, in heaven, there are no politics. Hallelujah. No election season. If that doesn't make you look forward to heaven, I don't know what would. I'm trying to get the weather. I don't care. They're all lying to me. So. <laughs> but do you see what I'm trying to get at? That's the thing that you need to understand. We have the single most valuable possession ever known to creation. And we have to commit ourselves because it has been committed to us to present it to every creature. And you know what? There's times they'll ask you and you'll be stunned. What? Why do you have so much hope? I've had somebody ask me that. To this day, I don't even know what my answer was. What are you saying to me? But there's other times when, you know, like 
This week I had. Where is that in the Bible? And you're telling me that abortion is a political thing? You're telling me that murder is just a political thing? How in the world did we get there? But, gentlemen, we have the ministry, the table waiting of reconciliation. And we give it truth. Why? Because it's trustworthy. It is true. It stands in light of all of the attacks. It still stands. I had that conversation this week too. Well, how do you know that book's right? Job, the oldest book in the Bible, says that the planet Earth was hanging as a sphere in nothing. Okay, so when you read your history books and it says, religious people believe the world was flat, I can say, those are the religious people who never read their Bibles. I can look and say, Isaiah, he had the hydrological cycle figured out. Okay, we figured it out in the early 1900s. Gosh, I'm happy for science. Listen to more prophets. He knew how it worked. No, this ain't hard. This ain't hard. But you know what? It's not your call to change hearts. God does that. All you do is you minister the word in truth and prayerfully consider God's mercy and grace on the person that you ministered it to. That is what ministry is. Sometimes you do it from a pulpit. Sometimes you do it across a living room table. Sometimes you do it a co-worker. Sometimes you do it on a bus. Sometimes you do it on a train. Uh, I remember doing it with a soccer team coming up out of uh, Orel back to Moscow. A little kid's soccer team was going to go play in a tournament in Moscow. And all these kids, and that's what I was telling them the whole, t- whole ride up. That, and they want to know if I'd met Arnold Schwarzenegger. Nope. Could you get a message to George Bush? Well, I was planning on having barbecue with him as soon as I got back. <laughs> what would you like me to tell him? <laughs> so, anyway. Brothers and sisters, you know, there's a lot of stuff that is out there right now that is quote-unquote called ministry, and there's absolutely nothing to do with reconciliation. If it does not have the gospel in it, dealing with the sin of mankind, the holiness of Jesus Christ and the reconciliation that is the power and purpose and plan of the God of creation. Then it ain't reconciliation and it ain't ministry. Okay? I don't care what it is. Well, but what about feeding the poor? You can do better than the welfare state. Really? Oh, wait. Jesus said the poor we will always have with me. Why? Because they never get satisfied. All right? We only have the one thing that is truth that only has eternal ramifications to it. That's what we live by. That's what we need to pursue and beg and plead people be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Father, to your glory and praise for your word. And Father, and for ministry, each of us here called by your name have an opportunity to minister. To take truth and serve it to the table of sinners. Father, as Paul has already said, who is adequate for such a task? And yet, Father, you have taken the weak. You've taken the feeble. Father, you have taken 
the foolish, to confound and to overthrow. <laughs> You're awesome. Father, help us be found faithful to the task you've called us. In Christ's name, amen.